Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Several years ago, when Kem announced to her students that we'd be leading a trip to the Grand Canyon, possibly the very last person we expected to apply was a kid I'll call Jonah. Small for his age, Jonah had been relentlessly bullied by his fraternal twin brother. He was a fearful bundle of neuroses and so lovable. We decided to take a chance on him, a pretty big chance actually since At the canyon, whatever goes down must come up. When our group got to Logan and Kem was sorting out seat assignments, Jonah took her aside to let her know he was absolutely terrified to fly. This was not an auspicious beginning. Kem seated him between us, and with a little surreptitious hand-holding, we made it to Phoenix. From there out, the trip went beautifully. Jonah visibly relaxed, was psyched about how strong he felt after days of carrying a backpack, and revealed a wonderful, self-effacing sense of humor. He was having a blast. And then came the climb out. Nine and a half miles of unrelenting straight up. He backslid into fear. We quoted the same wisdom from Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu we recite every time we step out onto the trail. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step and urged him to stay in the moment with his climb. Life, like life, it's all one step at a time. I left camp with the big boys, huge teenagers who loped up the trail and Kem plodded up with the slower kids, especially Jonah. Predictably, when we topped out, the big boys beelined for the snack bar. For a while, I paced at the trailhead, then decided to turn around and head back down. Leaving my pack, I grabbed just a water bottle and dropped over the rim. Down I went, down, down, no sign. A little ping of fear went off in my chest. Where were they? And then I saw them far below, resting. When I reached them, Jonah announced he was asthmatic. But it was clear he was more afraid than anything, talking himself out of his ability to keep going despite the lack of other options. Poor Kem. She'd already been at it for hours. I took Jonah's pack. We put him between us once again, and my sainted wife set a steady pace. Eventually, everyone made it out. Jonah 
was exultant. Back at the Phoenix airport, I casually asked him if he wanted to be my seatmate again. He looked me right in the eye and said, Kim, if I can climb in and out of the Grand Canyon, I can fly by myself. It was one of the best moments of my life. Jonah went on to graduate from high school and then college. He fell in love with a beautiful woman to whom he's now married. They have a toddler and another baby on the way. Recently, I saw a photo of him. He's wearing a T-shirt that says, Girl Dad, and he has a huge, sweet smile on his face. And I'm positive that facing all that fear literally walking through so much of which he'd been afraid, changed his life forever and for the better. In fact, the science says that taking risks can fundamentally change us. Taking risks shows us that we have what it takes to make a decision and to make good on it. Risk-taking makes us braver, stronger, and more confident. When we succeed, we build faith in ourselves, knowing we've done it before and we can do it again. Let me be quick to say that I'm talking about calculated risks. When the fear is not fear of death, but fear of failure. The goal is bravery, not bravado, not winging it, not heroics but taking healthy, life-giving risks. Author Robert G. Allen is known for saying, everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. If we want to live a life in which we thrive, not just survive, we're going to have to take some risks. The question to ask ourselves is, how will I feel if I don't try? Risk-taking is actually counterintuitive. Human beings are wired for homeostasis. Newton's law, an object at rest tends to remain at rest. And we like stability. We like to be comfortable, as in lying on the couch, or in what my friend Ed called his fur-lined rut. Ed was at best bemused and at worst indifferent about his high-paying job, his Tony neighborhood, his life. Once a year to please his wife, they went on a cruise, which he said bored him out of his mind. Ed wasn't unhappy exactly. He was just, as we say now, languishing. When I got the news that he died quite young, I felt shaken to the core. I wished he'd been able to muster the courage to peek up and over the edge of his fur-lined rut. At his memorial service, I quoted from Carlos Castaneda's Yaqui Indian teacher, John Don Juan Matus, who said, death is our eternal companion. It is always to our left. 
The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. Ed's death would have told him he had less time than he might have imagined. And it reminded me that being comfortable doesn't mean that we're thriving. To flourish, we need a sense of purpose and accomplishment. As scary as it might be, we need to take some risks. Do you know Carfield Groff Durkheim's book, The Way of Transformation, Daily Life as a Spiritual Practice? He writes, the spiritual seeker who being really on the way falls upon hard times in the world will not turn to friends who offer refuge and comfort and encourage the old self to survive. Rather, they will seek out someone who will faithfully and inexorably help them to risk themselves so that they may endure the suffering and pass courageously through it. And then he says this, which is worth the price of the book, only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over again to annihilation can that which is indestructible within us arise. In this lies the dignity of daring. In her poem, Finally on My Way to You, American poet Pesha Gertler writes, Finally on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no, no to my life, all the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded message that sent me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections. And I lift them one by one, close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. My young friend Benji visited me on the Cape on his way home from traveling in Thailand. I asked him what he had learned. He answered immediately, when you're invited, say yes. One evening, I was headed out to dinner in Provincetown with my friend Holly, a singer and songwriter from the Bay Area. I asked Benji if he'd like to join us, never dreaming he'd choose the company of old women over Commercial Street by night. But true to his word, he said yes. Holly was completely enchanted by Benji. Benji, she asked him over dinner, what's next for you? I might just go with the next invitation and see where it takes me, he answered. Would you like to come to California and work at my record company? Yes. 
was a thing of beauty to behold. I don't know if Benji had old stories he was rewriting, but clearly he was scribing in some pretty bold ink. Along the way, as he opened to new opportunities with a kind of composed fearlessness, he learned a lot about himself, confidence building on confidence. And when things didn't go his way, he practiced resilience. I really like this take on a regret-free life. Say yes. Just witnessing it was exhilarating. In his book, Too Safe for Their Own Good, How Risk and Responsibility Helps Teens Thrive, Dr. Michael Unger coined the term the risk taker's advantage. I know it won't surprise you that while it was a bestseller in Canada and Australia, Dr. Unger found it difficult to get published in the United States. Children, he was admonished, can never be too safe. How he came to disagree was through his research on resilience. He visited, he writes, stone-throwing children in Palestinian refugee camps, unsupervised teens on Israeli kibbutzim, children who dodge gunfire to go to school in Colombia's poorest mountainside communities, student paramilitaries in remote parts of India, teenage mothers in the cinder block slums of rural Tanzania, glue-sniffing children on native reserves in Canada's far north, and bored, disenfranchised youth in monochrome suburbs across the United States, Canada, and Europe. From the wild diversity of these young people, he heard one thing over and over. They all craved adventure and responsibility. Obviously, some of them have much too much but some of them have too little. Adventure and responsibility are in short supply in families and communities dead set on bubble wrapping their children. Michael Unger concludes, we need to be vigilant when real risks exist, but ease up when our fear gets the better of us. Well-founded worry conveys to children that they are loved. Groundless, senseless worry debilitates children in ways far worse than the few bumps and bruises they may experience without us. Our job is to help kids feel like adults in ways that are meaningful to them, that provide them with the risk taker's advantage. In writing The Love Gap, a book about navigating dating and relationships, Jenna Birch concluded that a person's odds of finding a romantic partner are vastly improved by the willingness to take risks. You can't be half-hearted. To date today, she writes, you have to get comfortable with improbability. All love is improbable. 
And the strongest relationships are built on the strongest connections, no matter the variables involved. She continues, I can't think of many great love stories I've heard that I'd call probable. There was the couple who was broken up for five years before they realized they were absolutely right for each other. The husband who told his now wife he'd help her find a great boyfriend when she was finally ready to date after a horrible breakup with her ex. Partners who met in kindergarten. Few couples have a straightforward romantic trajectory. The variables are such a mess. This romantic era can feel hopeless, she says. I've certainly cried about the apps, vented to my girlfriends about the ghosting, toasted all the bad days and broken hearts. But all the while, the improbability makes me sure of at least one thing. I'll be braver when I encounter a potential connection. The ways I've decided to increase my odds, she continues, are simple. Be bold in my risks and brave in my feelings. If I'm open, I can rest assured that I've given it a fair shot. 13th century Persian poet and Sufi mystic Rumi said, gamble everything for love if you are a human being. If not, leave this gathering. Half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. Risk-taking is a spiritual practice, a discipline. Gaining the risk-taker's advantage can be incremental, starting small. Talk to a stranger. Start up a conversation. Stand up to an offensive joke. Travel somewhere new. Ask for what you want. Call an old friend. Take a class in something new. Join a support group. Tell someone you appreciate them. Do something that scares you a little or a lot. And remember, risks are not one size fits all. One person's risk is another person's daily breakfast. We don't all have to jump out of an airplane. Journalist Nuri Vitachi writes, I never used to be a risk taper, but then I had children. Children who would play in the dirt and say things like, Daddy, close your eyes and open your mouth. Parents soon learn what true courage is. Beloved spiritual companions, how will you feel if you don't try? Say yes. I wish for you and for all of us the risk taker's advantage. Be bold. Be brave. Be wholehearted. Let's close with American poet Mary Oliver's The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, 
though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you can save. Be bold, my friends. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. From Donna Markova, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.